Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we have the return of Bailey, and we talk about post-separation abuse, the divorce process, her kids, and manifestation. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have the return of Bailey. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Brandon. How are you? I am doing well, and for those people that don't know who you are, you were on our October 5th, 2020 episode. And we were asked to do a follow-up episode with you uh, just to see how you're doing, how your life has gone since being on our show. And that was early on in our show. This was, you know, year two. And we didn't really have the same format that we have now. Things changed over time. It's kind of the same, but it, you know, back then it was a little bit Lucy Goosey. There's a. It was a lot more loose back then, <laughs> and you know, I, I listened to the show or your episode last night, and listening to it again, you know, all of you know, I have a hard time because I do so many. I talk to so many people. It's hard to remember certain episodes. Some stand out more than others, and yours, I had forgotten a little bit. But once I got into you know, listening to your story and when you started to go, I'm like, I really, you know, one thing about your story was, you know, your kids and uh, your uh, daughter was a huge part of the realization of a lot of things. So, you know, before we get into anything, everyone, I'm just going to do a little bit for people that haven't listened to your episode I'm going to now uh, leave a link if people want to listen to the full thing. I'm going to try and fix the sound on that episode because the sound wasn't the best. You know, we're trying to get better with those things, but um, that sound was my I, that was my issue on that episode. I didn't know what I was doing with my recorder, but that's another story. So, for those that don't know your story, you got married young. You were 18 years old. You know, love bomb, attentive guy. He was interested in conflict, love drama. He loves to show you how people have wronged you and shows that he has your best interest at heart. Uh, you thought he was in your corner, and then you see his family, and his family is this enabling, abusive family, has their own abusive system inside. And once you got married, he morphed into his dad. And, exactly. 
and a long time ago, we didn't really get into the Lundy Bancroft list of abusers. And while listening to your episode again, your ex was definitely a Mr. Right on, on that list. Um, he was also an animal abuser. He's a rager. And for you, financial abuse becomes a huge component of your story in a couple of ways. One, he is terrible with money, paying bills on time, credit. It's like these these things happen and he just doesn't care to take care of any of those things. And then at the same time, he has you become a stay-at-home mom. He's always changing jobs. There's no job security for him because he's always destroying something. And you find out that later, that from when your child gets into the same type of business as him, that he is um, not the best in maintaining relationships or doing a job very well at all. Uh, he needs constant appreciation and praise uh, he's a circle talker uh, mm -hmm. you weren't allow your own opinion he wants to keep you broke uh, there are facades with him he does things for other people outside of the home where everyone thinks he's great but he wouldn't pick up his own family the way he would pick up a stranger because he has these two different lives going on and then when it came to you you were isolated you really didn't share anything with anyone. There's embarrassment that was going on. And eventually this big thing happens. CRA, a hundred, for people that don't know what that is, it's the um, Canada Revenue Agency. There's $126,000 in debt that he has not paid any of his taxes. And then a lot of stuff uh, later on starts coming out about your kids and he's preventing your daughter from going to university. And then issues start to kind of pop up with your daughter, your oldest son, uh, your middle child. Um, and there's just struggles that are kind of going on and, and you break free. And, you know, you break free, you eventually you become a custodian and you're just trying to make things work. And we left off. I don't. I, the the divorce had not been settled yet. Uh, so many things hadn't happened. I, I guess my my first question to you would be, um, you know, the the divorce wasn't finalized, and you were talking about all of these dreams that you had that you're out of the fog because you were seeing things clearly. So I guess talk us through like the divorce, everything that unfolded there, uh, these dreams and, uh, you know, and then kind of go into like how your kids are doing. Wow, Brandon, that's it. You nailed it hundred percent. You remembered everything. <laughs> the separation and divorce process was a nightmare um i was not as prepared as i thought because i had done all my research i was prepared in the fact of i knew the stage that my ex was going to go through i fully expected things to happen i think what shocked me was that opening my eyes to i just couldn't believe i had been married to this person and the type of person he really was um, I found, I think the first thing I found out was he had two girlfriends. I had no idea. 
One showed up in our driveway. That's so, I know that's a fact. They denied who she was, but I knew who she was. I already had made up my mind to leave. He already knew I was leaving. I think what shocked me was that he had been carrying on these affairs. I think one was at least for maybe two or three years before I decided to leave. And it's, and I did find proof. Um, and when I found that proof, I was like, wow, like this is who he is. I'm not wrong. And I knew I had to buckle down because I had a feeling what was ahead of me. Um, the smear campaign is real and it was devastating. I don't actually, when I look back, I don't know how I made it through that whole separation slash divorce process. I just, I sort of became a bit of a hermit. I had a huge friend circle and I decided because a lot of my friends just thought he was this great guy. And I knew that if I was to say different or try to persuade them, I just knew that wasn't my job and they're all good people. I just had to buckle down. I became sort of a bit of a hermit. I stayed to myself. I quit drinking alcohol. I quit socializing. And I just let him do his thing. And it was devastating. Some of my friends, there's one friend who I thought I could count on that she sort of got sucked in and believed his every word. But that's because her husband is very much like my ex. And they were good friends. So it didn't surprise me. It just hurt. Um, he... He actually, I was just shocked he made it his mission to speak to anyone and everyone he could. He spent his days and nights literally going to visit everybody he ever knew in his lifetime just to smear me. I think that's the part I found shocking, but it was okay. I, I knew it was coming. I think I was just shocked by how much people like him actually can do. And I made it through. So as far as I kept trying to get, I did all my research and I realized that the separation agreement was huge in Ontario. So I tried my best just to keep putting all that stuff to the side. And I messaged him say, hey, do you want to meet up for coffee today? Can we get this agreement signed? Um, because I want to say like the only money I had coming to me was anything left over from our house. We had no RSPs. We had no savings. We had no stocks. We had no extra properties. There was nothing to divide. It was just to sell the house. So I dug my heels in. We had three different realtors come to the house. One, I quickly recognized he was trying to date. That's why he had picked her. I picked the one that I just went with my gut and picked one and he agreed to it. And then we listed our house in October, shortly after I spoke with you. And it sold in a matter of two weeks. It was a nightmare. I realized because the realtor came to me, she couldn't get him to cooperate with anything. Um, there's some structural issues with the house that I wasn't aware of um, that somebody had pointed out to her. And just so everyone knows, your husband is uh, really the king of he's in the trades business. He's not very good at it, but he does these nonsensical things where yes. he can go into a home, remove things and take parts of these things out of the home that the home needs and then cost you more money in the long run. He puts you in these weird debts all of the time. And this yes. just happens to be another one of those occasions where like, why would you do such a thing? And it creates an even bigger problem when trying to sell a home. Yes, like removing the structural foundation in our loft area. 
And so when the realtor showed up because she wanted to discuss that with us and how she couldn't in good conscience sell this house, knowing that the roof could collapse at any minute, um, he flew off the handle and he stonewalled her and basically called her a liar and said the roof was fine. And I, so I, I, I knew she was hundred percent correct. Um, I calmed him down by saying, Hey, we both have a builder in common. Let's get him over here to assess the situation. So she wanted like um, architectural drawings and an inspection. Of course, they came back and agreed with her. So we got this builder in common and he came in and I think he did it as a favor for me as well. I think he felt bad for me. And I think his eyes got open because he was one of the people that my ex was constantly spending a lot of time with smearing me. And they rebuilt all the knee walls and the loft and reinforced everything. And I think the end product was maybe $2,500 that, again, I had to suck out half of that, which really annoyed me. But I thought, no, you just have to stay focused, get this done, get this house sold. We had like a leak in the basement that he constantly lied about. The realtor pointed that out as well. Um, He was claiming he was going to fix it. He was down there doing something with the water pump. And when he went in to get a part in town, I was sitting in the living room. The living room was directly above that basement area. And I heard like a water sound. And I went down and water was just gushing from our pump. And I just shut the pump off and managed to get it stopped. Later on that week, I was cleaning the living room and I pulled open the door of one of our end tables. And there was the metal part, like the clamp that goes from the pump to the hose. He did it on purpose. I couldn't believe he had done that on purpose. And so it was things like that. Like my realization, I was like, oh my God, like I'll be lucky to get this done and get out of here. I didn't realize he was that capable. Like I would sort of say borderline sociopath, I think by the time I left. So I tried not to be home as much as I could. I would go visit my cousin, just go out and wander around malls and stuff. Um, One day I came home and we live on a fairly busy road and he would purposely leave the house and leave the front door open so our two dogs could get out. And that shocked me. And he did it more and more than one occasion. And when I called him out on it, he just started to shrug his shoulders, went, huh, and walked away. So I knew he had done it on purpose. And I think those things really shocked me at how much he, the disregard he had for his own children. Like if one of them came home and found one of our dogs on the road dead, like anything to get at me. And I was, I quickly realized like I was in deep and I just had to cross my fingers and hope that I could get out of this mess. So everything, so that because the market had started to pick up by then, um, things were selling quickly. And so we managed to sell it in two weeks at our asking price. That was great. Um, My brother stepped up and said, you are moving in with me and just move all your stuff to my house. And I had his garage full. I had the basement full. And I believe, and then I started to work on the separation agreement. Now, my brother, because we're in a small town, he had recommended this one lawyer firm. I was hesitant about it because I also knew my ex had a, a tie there somewhere, but there was three or four lawyers in this firm, all male. And when I went in to sign um, my house papers for the realtor lawyer that was in that firm, he was super annoyed that I decided I was going to read something first. And he said to me, is there a problem? And I said, well, I'd just like to read a few things before I sign my house away. And I left thinking, okay, he's been in there doing his smear campaign and all these men are going to stick together. And that's when I realized that this wasn't going to go well. 
um my ex also had met me outside of the office and he sort of he just like forcefully like walked up to me i was getting in my car and he decided that he was going to try to belittle me one more time and he tried to convince me to give him our fifth wheel trailer for free because you know poor him and he had done this and he had done that and i just said okay sure and i got in my car and i thought what in your fucking life like i just couldn't believe the nerve of him i thought wow like you really just have zero conscience and i think that's what shocked me i thought i can't believe i've been with this person and raised a family with this person knowing this is who he is now it was truly disgusting to watch a human being behave like that um so the month started ticking away and he brought his one girlfriend so his the one girlfriend i think he had planned on moving in with um dumped him i'm not sure if she didn't know he was married or what happened there the one that showed up in our driveway and his backup girlfriend was a, a walking mess she was married as well um well my kids her nickname they called her crystal meth they were embarrassed totally embarrassed that he was being seen out with this person and he moved into this place up the road and funny enough it was the place that we first rented when we got married it used to be my aunt and uncle's farm and they had sold it. It's been sold for almost 20 years and nobody had lived in the place since then. So it was run down, like the roof was leaking. And he approached this farmer, like the owner and said, Hey, you know, and, and did his song and dance and poor him. And so they allowed him to move into this place with the understanding that he would fix up a few things while he was there to make it livable. Cause it really wasn't livable. And like that, again, embarrassed my one son. He he just couldn't believe he would live in a place like this. Like the ceiling was falling in and he didn't want to take his girlfriend over there. And he moved all his tools there and everything was just a complete mess, like stuff outside. And the one night, so we had sold the house and he didn't tell me anything of his plans. And he, he a friend of his showed up and they just started moving things. And I went out and I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm moving all these things up to my new place. And I said, well, nothing's, you haven't signed an agreement yet. Like nothing, you can't just remove things off the property. And so we got into it with his friends and his friend was like, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to let you talk to him like that. And so I just started th saying things like, oh, you know, and I just started like spilling the truth, how I worked three jobs and how I worked so hard to help you pay your taxes off that you lied about and your girlfriends and his friends sat there totally shocked. In the end, I allowed him to move his stuff. When looking back, I should have called the police then and there and not allowed that to happen. But um, I realized he had me so beaten down and I was just so insecure and low self-esteem. Like I couldn't even sometimes differentiate through the brain fog of what was right and what was wrong. But anyways, that is said and done. So that happened and the months started ticking away and I probably weekly bi-weekly I would try to approach him very I realized that I got good at playing games with him all through our marriage like first you have to build him up and say something positive about him oh I heard you had a good week and you were great at this then I have to throw something in with the kids as a bait it was hard it was difficult but I had to use them like oh you know our daughter's doing this this week and I'll send you a picture oh and by the way have you had a chance to look at our separation agreement those are the games I had to play constantly and if he was in the mood he might answer me usually he ghosted me stonewalled me whatever you want to call it and the odd time when we would meet up at a tim hortons one time we we're in the parking lot and he just used that opportunity again to try to get as much as he could for free i guess so i was so since october so november december january i'm i'm starting to get anxious because i realize this is never going to happen 
I'm sitting in my brother's basement, living there for free. He won't, he just wants me to focus on myself and save money for lawyers. And, but the weird thing was, so I was looking around and all my boxes are piled to the ceiling. My brother's a clean freak. And I really made a mess of his house, moving all my stuff in there. But the weird thing happened was I started to get so happy. I started to feel so free. And I was thinking, wow, here I am sitting. I have nothing, nothing to my name except for the little money I keep saving weekly from working. And I'm the happiest I've ever been. So I knew that it was time, like, just keep pushing forward, keep doing my best. The lawyers were zero help to me. Every time I tried to approach them with a question about spousal support or child support, they would just come back with this super vague answer. And I thought, okay, these guys are not doing anything for me. They're actually on my ex's side. So I agreed to stop using them because every my ex was paying for nothing either, by the way. So I had to pay every time he would make all these little changes to the separation agreement. It would cost me anywhere from like 500 bucks to 1500, depending on. And I thought this is going to go on forever. So I just stopped using them. And I found a lawyer about an hour away from me and he gave me a phone call and I got some really good advice. But I realized like lawyers can only do so much. I made the mess. I was in this mess and I had to find my way out of it. They really don't care. You're just a number to them. They don't really care about how you're going to get out of it or what's fair or what's not fair. And I just want to remind people we had the whole COVID going on at this time. So um, for me to like say I'm going to take them to court, I just didn't know when that was going to happen. Is that going to happen next year, two years from now, three years from now? The court in our town was basically shut down and the lawyers were telling me that as well. So I sort of felt a bit helpless. And then, I don't know, something just came over me and I said, no, you're not helpless. Um, you need to figure this out and fix it. And he's in the wrong. And I just kept telling myself that every day. And I started reading. I was always an avid reader, but once a week, I'd commit myself to reading like a self-help book, something about narcissism and how to, how to help it, something about self-esteem, something about, and then I got into manifestation. That was a huge help for me. I started like um, writing down things daily thinking positive, not thinking negative. And I think that is actually what was my biggest, actually my daughter introduced me that too as well. There, here she comes in again, saving the day. So I focused on that. I found that was a huge help for me. And I tried to separate him as look at him and think of him as just a person in my story and not this ex who's done all these terrible things because he's not going to change and it's not going to get better. So just move up, just move forward. And I, so every time I met him, I was upbeat. I had a positive attitude. I smiled. I was, I honestly was just fake, totally phony, but I, I thought this is what I have to do to get through it. That's what I'm going to do. Finally, when he no longer make any more changes or do anything else, um, and he promised he would sit down and sign it. I think this was end of March. And then he phoned, we set up who we could use as witnesses. He agreed to this one friend whose wife sort of believed all his nonsense and whom he was good friends with. And I said, sure, if he wants to uh, be a witness, I thought, let's just get this bloody thing signed. And um, it definitely, I could have definitely had more in my favor, but I realized at that time, Brandon, money, I just didn't care. Money was not important to me. He probably made out with an extra, you know, $30,000, $40,000 in tools and all his toys. And he got the four wheelers. I just didn't care. 
I really didn't. I had nowhere to store them anyways. I wasn't going to dwell on that. As far as spousal support went, he definitely owed me spousal. Um, but the lawyer, the new lawyer that I'd hired said, just so you know, an Ontario spousal is only as good as his job. And I was like, you know what? If I take a, a monthly payment, which my middle son, who's the closest with my ex, tried to convince me to do he because he really felt I was getting shafted. Um, I didn't want to be tied to him for the rest of my life because he was going to have to pay that payment even in retirement. And I thought that means I'm going to have to chase him. I'm going to build my world relying on this income. And then I'm going to have to chase him because he's going to love that control. And I said, no, I'm not doing it, even though it would have given me more security. And I just couldn't do it. So I took um, a buyout and the buyout was according to how much house money he got. It wasn't even a fair amount, but I'm a really good budgeter. I'm good with money. I figured what I could do to get by. And that's what I went for. So he really got an excellent deal. And he's still stonewalling trying to get this agreement signed. So we finally agree to meet. We have the witness. And then he phones, he messages me at work. And he said, my lawyers, he got this fancy schmancy lawyer in Toronto, finally, that somebody helped him with because he cried on her shoulder. and She's a paralegal. Um, his lawyer advised him to remove all child support from the agreement. So I said, let me call you. So I called him and I said, do you really want this on paper? Because I am going to share this with our daughter and you are her father. And this is going to look a certain way in her eyes. And I want you to really think about this because that might be your lawyer's suggestion, which I really didn't believe it was. I don't think any lawyer would suggest that. But I said, this is this is telling our children right now who exactly you are. And he said, take it out. So I thought, okay, this is the one last thing that he can change. And how am I going to do this? Because it's not fair to my daughter. And so I called her. We had a FaceTime video. And she said, do it. She said, he doesn't help me now. It's going to help you get your house money. You can get us a house. We can move on with this. You're sitting in your brother's basement right now. She said, he doesn't help me, mom. Like, let's just get this done. And so we did. So I, we scratched, we literally in front of the witness, put an X through anything that had to do with child support um, was an X and we initialed it and the witness initialed it. The lawyer said it was fine to do it that way. The only thing he agreed to keep in was university costs. So because he makes almost more than double my wage, the lawyers had this formula and I believe my, his thing is like 70% and I'm 30% of any tuition costs or anything to do with school. That's it. And he agreed to keep that in. So I think it was the end of March, beginning of April that we signed this agreement. And I was disappointed, but pretty proud of myself that it was finally done. I've called the lawyer. I filed, I said, I want my um, divorce to come through because you have to be separated exactly a year exactly the exactly a year and I paid for that and he just got and it was approved and he just got the divorce notice and he was not happy I fired off this email to Laura and I just sort of giggled to myself and thought I'm done with you it's all done so I took my money and I started to house shop it was a great day when I got that check from the lawyer I'm not talking huge money but I had enough for a down payment and of course the market was just starting to get really crazy um, I didn't, wasn't sure what I was going to do because I don't have a huge paying job and whether I'd be approved and all this other kind of things. And I used um, the realtor that sold our house. And that was a great 
instinctual decision on my part because she was amazing with me. She totally knew the situation. She totally knew how he reacted from, or what kind of person he was from the way he, his interactions with her and how I had to do everything in the house to get it sold. Like he did nothing. So when I was looking at houses, uh, my brother, of course, was right there with me. And because we, they weren't allowing home inspections at the time, just because there were so many buyers, it was definitely a seller's market. And if you were going to put, you know, home inspection, they wouldn't even look at your offer. So my brother went with me because he's a plumbing tradesman. So he was looking at the electrical and the plumbing and all that kind of stuff with me. And the realtor turned to me and said, I'm just going to get teary eyed. And she said, stop doubting yourself. You deserve good things. This is going to work out for you. And I got teary eyed because I thought, here's a complete stranger. Like just recognizing everything that's gotten on in my life. And I listened to her. I'm like, no, she's right. I do deserve this. And so we went forward and looked at houses and I ended up getting a house. And it was, you know, it was so prices had risen, but they hadn't gone insane. And yeah, and the thing, the thing was, my house was a block away from my brother's. And so I thought that was funny how that worked out. We literally walked things from his house over to my new house on closing day. Now, my brother has moved on. He's moved about an hour away from me um, now. But in that time, it was really great. But I could go over and visit him and settle in. And so my daughter, she was like over the moon ecstatic. So I think we moved in. So we got my agreement signed at the end of March, beginning of April. And I started house shopping. And we were in my home by the long weekend of May. And things just like progressed really quickly. And I was just like over the moon. Did you shoot off fireworks because it was uh, Victoria Day? <laughs> we did. <laughs> for the for for Americans that don't know, uh, May two four weekend is Victoria Day, and or just to a lot of people, Fireworks Day. <laughs> hey, <Right>? really? <laughs> and I think so. My brother. The house needed a bit of work, like we put in some new carpet and my daughter and I wanted to paint our rooms. So we, I was able to stay at his house and do that while I was, you know, doing a bit of renovations. And then when my daughter were there and I were there painting that first week, that's when I saw my divorce come through by email. And I just was so <laughs> excited. I'm like, all of these great things are happening all at once. And I'm finally, finally free of him. So things. I just don't like, I don't know how to describe it. Like things just, the realtor was right. Things just fell into place and they continue to do so. I just, I'm really into just staying positive and realizing um, I had read this book. So for any listeners out there, this might inspire them as well. Um, her name is Lynn Grabhorn. And I read this book, excuse me, your life is waiting. And it's all about feelings and how we can control our feelings to the outlook of what goes on in our lives. And there was this one passage in her book and it said, there is no such thing as a victim, never has been, never will be. And it took me a while to figure out what she meant by that. And it's, um, it's just, it's all about you. You can't control what others do. You can only control yourself. And if you think all the time about being positive and having a good outlook on life, you'll never be a victim because things will work out and fall into place for you as they should. 
And so that's sort of been my philosophy since reading that book. And it's work, it's working for me. I really think that works. Distancing yourself from negative people and things like that. So what other things were going on in your healing process and um, what has gone on in your life since then? So I love, love living on my own. It's so peaceful. I get to do whatever I want. And every day, though, is a reminder to myself to focus on myself, do what I want to do. I'm the one who's important in my story. And I'm learning to say no. I'm learning not to associate with people who are downers and negative. Um, I don't want to spend my time anymore with anybody who's racist or homophobic, or I don't think any of those jokes are funny. I don't want to listen to it. And that's really empowering because nobody has any hold on my life. So one on the way home one night, my, I stopped in to visit my brother and we're having a drink together and he started talking about dating. And I was like, Oh, no way this isn't happening <laughs> and i so i've already been separated for a year and divorced so it'd be about a year and a half i guess since i left my spouse and he was like this is your time now and and you know you're hovering you're smothering your kids they have to do their own thing they have their own lives uh you need to get a life for yourself and i thought oh my god how am i going to do this and i don't know why i, I think it's just because i respect his opinion and my brother has always, things just magically work out for him. But I realize it's because he isn't a negative person. He just goes about his life and focuses on himself. So I thought, well, if that worked out for him. He has found a great and amazing partner. And they're, now they've been together seven years. And so I thought, well, I'll give it a try. Uh, I believe he used the term spinster and that bothered me. <laughs> I think that spurred my feelings on. So I went online and I just, I did this um, thing, this manifesting thing that I saw, um, do you know, Bob Proctor. I do not know who Bob Proctor is. So he, he's passed now, but he was big in the manifesting world. So he had this little exercise that you draw a circle and then off that circle, the circle is your person off that circle. You list traits that you want to see in that person. And you do not put a face to that person. That person comes to you as they are. You can't manifest their looks or anything about them like that. And so I was on the dating sites and it was really discouraging, of course. And I finally agreed to have coffee with this one person. And I showed up and we just had an instant connection almost. We've been together almost two years now. And he's great. And when I go back to that thing that I manifested, he has all of those traits. All of those traits. The thing that I found difficult, I didn't, I wasn't um, prepared for how much trauma I was going to have to deal with in just, in just dating someone again. And he's been super patient with that. The issue is um, he has a lot of trauma and I have a lot of trauma. And sometimes our traumas clash and we've had to learn how to work through them because my solution is to run, break up with him, get it, get out of here. I panic because I, I don't want to have someone have, you know, a say in my life basically and so it's been trying to rebuild trust again learning how to deal with your trauma so now him and I are both funny because I think we've each taught the other things and we're both in therapy on our own separately learning how to deal with things and I think we've made a lot of headway in how that we present them to each other and how we deal with things 
So it's been, it, tended, it ended up being a great experience, even though at the beginning it was pretty dicey. I was shocked, I think, at how much trauma and PTSD I had. So if he said anything similar to something my ex had said, like, for example, say something negative and then say, oh, I was only joking, that would set me off. And it took me a while to realize, you know, not everybody is your ex. Not everybody is out to get you. Not everybody has a separate agenda. And like when you said, he's literally two people. He was two people, but not everybody is like that. So that was hard to retrain my brain and, and try to deal with all that. But I think I have, and I think it's great. It's great now. I have a person who's like, we're equals. We're 50-50. He respects my opinion and I respect his. He respects my family, my friends, and he doesn't speak derogatory of anyone in his life or anyone we may go out and meet on the street. I don't have to deal with it's just so nice. And I look back and I can't believe I put up with that for so long, thinking it was normal. And so people who are thinking about leaving, I would encourage them to sit down and make a list and like tell yourself not to settle any longer. You don't have to put up with someone who treats you like that. And as far as your children go, how are you supporting them? Because I know that there's struggles with your daughter, um, your middle child, um, who is the favorite, will have uh, his own struggles. And then the eldest child who took, I think, a, the brunt of a lot of things has his own struggles. So how are you as right. a family unit supporting each other? So when it comes to them, you know, how are they doing and how is this new life for all of you, really? Right. Um, I think we all feel that this new life is perfect. It's amazing. It's great. Um, I'm trying to sort of team build my kids again. Like, you know, I've said many times to them, like, it doesn't matter what your dad or I think of you or your brother or your sister, you guys are in this together. You have to start building your relationship together because you are all each other's going to have when we pass away. Don't take what your dad feels about, you know, your oldest son to your middle son and try to impression you towards them. So I try to get them together as much as I can, especially for Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that. And um, so I'm going to start with my middle son because he um, is with an amazing partner. Her family is great. They both live with them. They're far from me. They're almost two hours away from me, but um, I feel better knowing that her family sets such a great example for him. He's seeing what a dad actually does in a household. And he's seeing what teamwork is and, and how a relationship is 50-50. And his partner has learned that from her parents. Therefore, in my eyes, from what I see, she's an excellent partner for him. And they have recently had a baby. They definitely are on the path to get married. I think we all hope they will get married. Um, and so now I feel like our family has moved forward because we're blessed with this grandchild. And the baby is seven months old. And they're excellent parents. Like my son is in there like a dirty shirt. He wants to change diapers. He wants to feed her. He wants to be with her as much as he can be. And I think that's going to be very healing for him. But at the same time, I do worry that it's going to stir up some feelings as in why, why wasn't my dad doing this for me? And I think it will eventually, but 
hopefully he approaches me when that happens to how to deal with it. So yeah, my middle son is doing really well right now and he's super happy in life. And I think, and that makes me happy. My daughter, my ex messages her the odd time. She did give him her phone number. She's making little tiny baby steps to let him, I think, into her life a little bit. I, she, and I know that's coming from guilt. I think she feels guilty asking him for money to help pay her tuition when she has zero contact with him. I feel like she has to deal with that on her own. Um, it's a game. It's a game to try to get money out of him for anything. Sometimes she gets it. Sometimes she doesn't. So she's struggling a bit with that because I think she wants to let him into her life a bit. Let's face it. He's still her dad. And I'm not discouraging it or encouraging it because part of me feels like she does need to know and make peace with it. She needs to know who he is and come to that more on her own terms as she gets older. And I think it's worse if she cuts off all contact and then if something were to happen to him, she might live with that for the rest of her life or always have doubts. So I do think it's a good thing. And if she wants to establish some sort of relationship with him. So that's where she is right now. And she is, she has some issues, but she is thriving. She's doing super well at school. She's going into her last year of university next year. She's joined the dance team there and she's teaching dance. I, I think right now she has everything that she's desired and wants. So I hope she stays on that path. She's a hard worker and she's super smart. So I feel from time to time, I do feel a, a large amount of guilt realizing that's who I chose to have a family with. But I can't change that. I really wish I could. I really, you know, and I tell my daughter all the time, when it comes time for you to get married, or if you want to get married, I think all my kids do want to get married. Um, so I must have did something right along the way. Uh, I said, you really look at that person and you ask yourself, what type of person I'm going to raise a family with? Because I never did that at my age. Well, I think I was too young. You were very young. Yeah. I, you don't have all of those capabilities. And when I got married, you know, mental health was shoved on the back burner. Nobody really understood it. And everybody just thought it was a character trait. Like you just accept that for who that's who, that, you know, you'd hear that's who he is, that's who he is, or that's who they are. But, you know, I said to my kids, like, you have all these research, you know, resources behind you now to make better decisions. And how's your oldest doing? I think my oldest son. So he was on his own until the housing market went crazy. And he asked, well, he didn't really ask. He was having an issue. His the, the landlord sold their home. He was renting with, I believe, four or five other kids there. And he didn't know what to do because people were bidding on rent. Rent has become just insane. And so I encouraged him like to move in with me because I had two rooms in the basement. The reason why I bought the home is because the former people, I lived just down the road from a college. So they rented rooms out to students, and I figured that would help supplement my income. So I offered a room to him and said, like, can you just move home and decide? So that was this September. That'll be two years. And he's definitely had his ups and downs. His, his dad likes to pop in at his place of work and make a spectacle, try to embarrass him in front of coworkers and things like that. And instead of, like getting angry and I just say to my son like that's all in your control you can pick up and phone because we all work for the same company I said he has no right to be at your school you can pick up the phone and call human resources and have that looked after 
And my son, who's an exceptional person, just said, I can't be the, that guy who tells on his dad. But I said, I totally understand. Like, you have to do what's right for you. You can sleep at night. He said, I just can't do that. And I said, okay, then just understand that you've made that decision. You know? And I think by having talks like that and showing him that he's not powerless and things are in his control and his choice, I think that's really helped him. And him and I have grown even closer, him being here. I hate to see the day that he moves out. He's dating someone right now. They've been dating for six or seven months. And she's great. I think they're the perfect match. So when I sit back and I look overall, I think things are amazing for us right now. And I think taking that one step and leaving that very toxic situation allowed goodness to come into our lives. And I feel like if I was still there, none of this would have happened. So you also wanted to discuss the things that were happening with the women in your town and how your story has helped them, your life has helped them. So talk to us about this. Yes. So um, how I met the first girl was her ex had messaged me and asked me out. He heard that I was separated. Now, I I sort of knew him and knew about his behaviors. And so I'd already made up my mind that that wasn't going to happen. And next thing I know, his ex-wife is messaging me. And like, I know her a bit only because of our small town, like of places. Oh, I would see so-and-so, but we weren't friends. And she's like, you know, I just want to tell you that you don't want a piece of this. Stay far away from him. And she started telling me some of the things he had done to her. And they've been married for at least 25 years plus, raised a family together. And I wasn't surprised because I had his number. And so her and I, of course, I turned him down and her and I ended up becoming pretty good friends. We had visits back and forth. We shared stories. And I was completely shocked to the levels that that man had gone to destroy her. And even as far as sexual assault, and he had been um, in the courts and charged and she had gone ahead and she was so brave to go ahead and do that. And I had, and then my story got out maybe through her or through other friends. And then I had spoken with other women and I'm up to five other women now in my community. And we're not that big of a community who have experienced the exact same thing this masculine toxicity with full control and it's my house and my money and my, my, my. And two of the women I know are still married and are still struggling huge. And I don't want to come out and say, look at he's this, this, and this. I realize they have to come just like I did on their own terms and their own time. And I can just support them. But their self-esteem has gone from 10 to like a one. From I knew the one girl before she was married. We were friends when we were younger. And I watch her now and it just tears my heart out. But I know there's nothing I can do to help her. She has to help herself. Well, you're helping a lot of people. And today you helped uh, people one more time for being here and sharing your post-separation experience. And I don't remember off the top of my head if we did a words of wisdom back then. But uh, here is your chant if we didn't do that. I don't remember off the top of my head. So uh, for everyone who is listening, what are your words of wisdom for everyone? My words of wisdom are even when you are at your lowest and you think you're never going to dig yourself out of that situation, please, please pick up a book or read something on manifesting and the law of attraction. Because even if 
Some people might consider it false, bumpkiss, whatever you want to call it. I realized even back in my marriage, in my mind, I was manifesting. Like, for example, he had made a comment about his house. And if I don't know why he brought up this conversation, but if things happen, he won't be the one leaving because it's his house. And I would say in my mind, I'm going to have my own house one day. I will buy my own house. And at the time, I had no idea how that was going to happen because he had control of the money and I was a stay-at-home mom. But here I am. And I realized back then I was already manifesting that. So please, please, even if it's in your heart and your mind, remind yourself of who you are and what you deserve. And everybody deserves good things and everybody deserves respect and be treated properly. And just keep reassuring yourself over and over again. And things find a way of you just have to take that step and enable yourself. And things find a way of lining up and working out. Well, Bailey, I really want to thank you once again for being here with us today and sharing the rest of your story. Uh, you know, people were curious and wanted to know. And we're going to try to bring back other guests as well. Um, more, more often than we have, and you're the first one uh, in this new wave. So big, big, big thank you for being here with us today. Thank you, Brandon. I just want to say one more thing because my daughter will laugh at me, but I feel this is the truth. I really do feel like the sky is bluer and the birds are singing just for me. It does happen. Well, thank you for that. So uh, a really big thank you for, for being here with us today. Thank you, Brandon. And if you want to be a guest like Bailey was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There, you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. Also at our website, we have a support group. So if you need support at NarcissistApocalypse.com, click on the support group button at the top of the page. There you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on and to get the validation that you need and to validate other survivors just like you. And that is at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Press on the support group button if you need support. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And at DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and website address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town is that you are in. DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful organization. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Bailey, we hope you have a good night.